When it comes to safety, nothing is more important than your vehicle's brakes. If it's hard to stop or you hear squealing or grinding noises during braking, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts. You'll find the brake parts you need from trusted brands like BrakeBest and BrakeBest Select at everyday low prices. Play it safe with brakes from O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Stefania Magidson. She's the founder of the Blue Heron Foundation, one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the Romanian diaspora. To date, the organization has raised more than $2 million and has awarded over 300 college scholarships and has touched the lives of more than 2,900 children. Stefania was born in Romania. In 1983, immigrated with her family to the United States. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Health Education and a Master's in Applied Spiritual Psychology. Stefania and I will be having a conversation about her life's journey as an immigrant, her search for spiritual growth, and her recently released book, Searching for the White Magician, a dialogue with Carmen Firen on spiritual psychology and the manifestation of destiny. Good morning, Stefania. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, and thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity, Johnny. I'm doing great. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Searching for the White Magician is a very interesting and insightful read. I truly enjoy the fact of how you present the connection of the laws of the universe and the manifestation of our own destiny. So congratulations on its release. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Yes, so I was born in Romania, more specifically in central Romania, which is known as Transylvania, a place of great natural beauty and rich traditions. My maternal grandfather was a priest and a professor at the seminary. He taught old Greek and music. And my paternal grandmother was a very spiritual woman. And I spent a great deal of time with my grandparents up until the age of about eight. And they had a great influence in my life. Um, When I was 15 years old, my family decided to move to the United States. We came here legally. I think it took about two or three years to receive the, the approval. And we ended up in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, a very unusual place, I guess, to to land in. But as I look back after all these years, I think it was the perfect place to to experience yet another religion. We never became Mormon or LDS, as they are known, but it gave me a great deal of insight into their lives and and um, spiritual quests. And I graduated 
high school and college in Utah and then moved to Los Angeles. And here I received a master's in applied spiritual psychology. Mm -hmm. And a few years later, I got married and um, started a family. And years after that, I started a nonprofit organization. So that was in 2002, helping Romanian orphans. Initially, we helped toddlers and afterwards older orphans or abandoned Mm -hmm. kids who are attending college. And so this has been the trajectory of my life. I think it has been also a trajectory of um, of changing social classes very radically, um, just starting from zero when we came to America, and then again through marriage, uh, being propelled to to the top of the pyramid, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And from that platform, I felt a real calling to give back, having known what it's like to be at, at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. So this has sort of been my trajectory. It sometimes feels like several lives in just one lifetime. I understand. Fantastic. One of the things that piqued my interest, you did say Transylvania. First thing yes. came to mind is Dracula. So tell us a little bit about right. that. Oh, boy. Yeah, it does seem that every time somebody talks about Romania, it's either Dracula or Nadia Comaneci. So Dracula um, (laughs) lived in, the, I I believe, the 13th century, and he did rule in that part of Romania. He was Mm -hmm. a very ruthless leader, um, and I believe he actually, he, he suffered of, he had... Hemophilia, and between mm-hmm. him being a pretty ruthless and bloody, but supposedly very, um, I don't know, tough and <laughs> honest leader, he he got this, um, you know, he got a bad rep. Well, he did. Yes, he was the first one to tell the the Muslims. You know, the Turks used mm-hmm. to invade us for centuries, mm-hmm. and he was the first one to tell them to get lost and mm-hmm. um, a, he was able to defeat them and uh, we didn't pay um, I don't know we were paying them in kind so he was the mm-hmm. first one mm-hmm. to tell them in centuries to to leave us alone so mm-hmm. anyway he got a bad rap and that <laughs> was part of who he was but um, he was so much more I'm sure he is. It's just uh, something that it's like, oh my gosh. So really cool meeting someone who has firsthand experience of Transylvania. So I have to ask that question. <laughs> yes. Well, we did not turn into vampires at night, although my <laughs> husband still <laughs> wonders about that. But um, yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful place. I imagine it must be beautiful in the countryside. Is that something that you miss from home? Yes, you know, I grew up, our home was in Brasov, which is, again, a very picturesque city. And it was, our home was close to a forest. And so often I would come home from school and spend an hour or two in the forest. And I really, I was really in touch with the spirit of the forest and Mm -hmm. with that which is present in the silence Mm-hmm. All the scenery there in Transylvania is very dramatic. The Carpathian mm-hmm. Mountains have a lot of drama, and it's um, beautiful 
landscape and very rich traditions and rich cultures because we also have the Hungarians, mm-hmm. we have the Roma who are the commonly but erroneously called gypsies. Uh, we had the uh, Saxons, which were, I think, Germans who settled mm-hmm. there in the 11th and 12th century. So there was a very, um, it, w- it was a, a very rich place culturally, from a religious point of view, from a tr- traditional point of view. We were often invaded by the Huns, then mm-hmm. the Austro-Habsburg Empire um, uh, you know, took over Transylvania for about 150 years. So a lot of things happened there. It was a, v- a very rich place. So it's fairly interesting in terms of when you talk about melting pot. I mean, may not necessarily be in a way harmonious yeah. as, say, the United States is. Yeah. But in all actuality, it's old country, old world, but there's a lot of happenings. It's very rich in tradition. And perhaps does that contribute to you in those hours of being by yourself that you are starting to think differently in some ways or explore certain things different than the rest of the people around you? Yeah, so, you know, I think it's part of what I came uh, with into the world. I think we Mm -hmm. all are encouraged in this day and age to cultivate our critical thinking. And that's so mm-hmm. important, and I'm all for that. And uh, I, I think it's important to master that. And I, I've uh, spent a lot of time cultivating that and encouraging my kids to cultivate that. But also, I think it's so important to not throw away our creative thinking our intuitive thinking, our metaphorical thinking, our visionary thinking. So I think as a child, as I look back, I think I've always cultivated those kinds of thinking, maybe a little more than I saw it happening in school or in people around me. And I think, again, I was a person who I, of course, understood and had an experience in the five senses, but also the sixth sense, you know, that which lies beyond what we can see, touch, smell, and hear. So I think I sort of came into the world wired like that, and maybe for whatever reason I spent a little more time cultivating that part of myself. And it was so fascinating, and sometimes reality was not that interesting. You know, we I grew up under the <laughs> communist regime, and the world was very beige and gray, and... Um, um, you know, there was a lot of brainwashing going on, but I mm-hmm. sort of knew there was so much more to life than the propaganda and the very narrow walls, the very confining yeah. walls that they were trying to impose on us. How was your experience like during the early years as an immigrant in the U.S.? Very hard. I describe mm-hmm. them as the crawling in the mud phase. <laughs> The feeling I had when arriving in America was that of being rattled. Just I felt like as if the 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 rug had been pulled from underneath me. I think I initially I had very high expectations. I thought I was going to move to uh, this very idyllic place, and when I arrived here, I felt very alienated. I felt that I had lost everything. The culture, the language, mm-hmm. the 
extended family, the friends, everything I really knew or thought I knew disappeared. Oh, and I forgot mm-hmm. to mention our, our family status because we did have a, an okay life for Romania mm-hmm. during the communist mm-hmm. regime. So I had, I don't want to say privilege, but I really had everything I needed and uh, grew up in a beautiful home and in a majestic part of the country. So we, I st- the whole family started by doing very menial jobs, and that continued for years. You know, when you start from zero at the bottom of the pyramid and you don't see, you know, it just looks like the, the road to quote-unquote making it and realizing the American dream is really long. So right. I gave it all I had, and we all did. And I think I really got a taste of the humble pie in America, of what it <laughs> means to be at the at the very bottom and um, with very little hope. So it was a, a ton of hard work. Right. And inside of myself, there were two things that saved me. On the one side, it was my hope for receiving a college degree and little by little building you know, a professional life and mm-hmm. and just a, a good life here. And on the other hand, the other part was cultivating this spiritual practice which anchored me in something that was beyond a country, mm-hmm. a time in history, how much money we had or didn't have, um, where we were perceived to be on the social, you know, Exactly. So I think the the spiritual pursuit was also a very important ally and a big source of strength. Very, very interesting. In that period of your life, when did an epiphany occur that led you to sort of realize that there's something else beyond our physical existence and your urge of wanting to connect with your higher self, so to speak. Yes. So on the one hand, it was all along through my childhood, but right. when it became really apparent, I think is it was really the moment when I arrived to America mm-hmm. and I, I've experienced that very... Um, the feeling of the rug being pulled from underneath me because I started to ask myself some very profound questions. I think, at least I think they were profound given that I was only 15. Questions such as, who am I beyond my position in society? Who am I beyond the language I speak and the cultural traditions that I have learned? Who am mm-hmm. I beyond my my family, my extended family, and my friends. So these were some very deep questions which were really asking um, questions about the soul. Like, who, who, Obviously, I got to the sort of the essence of who am I beyond my physical body and all the connections to my physical environment. And so I was left with realizing that my essence is my soul, my spirit, Mm-hmm. And regardless of history and country and family, that spirit was sort of, um, I don't know, immortal and not mm-hmm. defined by this point of reference that can change very easily and were temporary. And so also I was lucky to find some wonderful books that had a great influence on me, such as 
Joseph Campbell's The Power of the Myth. I found a couple of books by Indian swamis. One of them was Inspired Thoughts by Swami Rama. There was a great Romanian historian and scholar at University of um, Chicago who had written many books. I I remember finding one of his wonderful books called um, The Forbidden Forest, which really Mm -hmm. dealt with a lot of questions about how we perceive time and timelessness and uh, parallel universes. It was fascinating. So little by little, I started discovering authors who were confirming notions about the world that I had intuited, but Mm -hmm. I was now really jumping in and meeting these authors and little by little learning more about a whole other world that was that had a whole tribe in America, so to speak. And that was wow. a very exciting time. So I was about 15 when I started that journey. And then when I got to 23, I had discovered this wonderful program in Santa Monica, University of Santa Monica, who they were offering a master's in applied spiritual psychology. And I was accepted and studied that for two years and I would say that program sort of locked in my understanding of this world, and I learned a great deal of so many tools that were, I think, as I look back, imperative that I learned at that point in my life because they informed my decisions um, with regards to my to the big decisions that I made in life after that in terms of marriage and my my life's work, which has to do with um, philanthropy and helping children in Romania mm-hmm. and here as well, and also my life, my life's work in art, because I've also been very, very engaged in the art world. But so much of what I'm here to do, I learned through um, contemplating and delving into this question of what am I here to do? What What is my calling in this lifetime? And it was so important to do it at such an early age. And I'm grateful to have found this great program, um, which is unfortunately no no longer available, but um, it, w- it was a wonderful resource for me at the time. And uh, I really found one of my tribes, one of the tribes that I belong to. And I think that's important for the listeners to yeah. remember that it's so important in our lifetime to find the tribes that we belong to because they um, they inspire us and they assure us that we are not crazy and that we belong. <laughs> you know, it's important yeah. to feel that we belong. Yeah. That's true. Very true. It's very interesting what you have gone through, and you mentioned about the fact that at 15, that's where you started to really start thinking. And of course, it is a cultural shock coming from Romania. One of the reasons I asked that question is that I came to the United States when I was 18. Actually, four months after my 18th birthday, I landed Mm -hmm. in Baton Rouge, Louisiana to start my freshman year. And then Uh a year later, my father died. And so in some ways, the good news is you have your family around you. And I was all by myself in some ways. And so that changes the dynamic. Yes, yes. Yeah, I can imagine. 
then events happens in life and so forth. I like to tell people it's one of those things where your parents have a plan for you. <laughs> yes. You have a plan for yourself. And then life has a plan for you as well. <laughs> it's true. It's this, uh, you know, several threads. And uh, I talk in the book a little bit, you know, there are a couple of uh, chapters on chakras. And the, the eighth chakra is about our calling and our mm -hmm. sacred contracts here in the world. And I think um, when we get really quiet and we pay attention to what animates us, what gets us excited, what gets us to pause, what gets us to feel inspired, when we pay attention to that, I think that's when we get in touch with, with sort of the plan that life has for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, and that, you know, we sense that animation inside. And then we have the choice of of, uh, of following that or of following, you know, what our parents tell us or to mix the threads. And, yeah, life too can have opportunities and, you know, we can, we can encounter luck or bad luck or doors closing before we had a chance to make a decision. So I know exactly what you mean that... Um, there's a, a meeting of several threads of the mm -hmm. the family influences our yearnings and um, desires and how we see ourselves, and then also things that happen along the way that that um, either help us or hold us <laughs> back. Right. So, so true. So true. Yeah. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Stefania Magidson. She's the founder of the Blue Heron Foundation, one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the Romanian diaspora. To date, the organization has raised more than $2 million and has awarded over 300 college scholarships and has touched the lives of more than 2,900 children. We're having a conversation about her life's journey as an immigrant, her search for spiritual growth, and her recently released book, Searching for the White Magician, a dialogue with Carmen Firen on spiritual psychology and the manifestation of destiny. Well, Stefania, when did the idea of searching for the white magician come about? Let's see, about 10 or 12 years ago, I was in New York at an event, and I met this very intelligent and respected Romanian-American author, novelist, poet, journalist, and right away we felt a very strong affinity, and we kept in touch over the years, and I guess I should say that she was fascinated by me, fascinated how I've managed to sort of weave my spiritual life and view of the world with the work that I do for our for the foundation that I started and she was I guess also fascinated by the trajectory I had in America and she invited me into a dialogue just for initially just for one one interview one article for a Romanian literary magazine but as we started talking my answers were very elaborate and unconventional and mm -hmm. she wanted to continue the conversation so 
the one article became four articles that were published on four different months. And then there were so many comments and questions. It ended up being 13 articles published over a 13-month period in Romania in a literary magazine. And at the end of that, she said, oh, we have we really have a book. We have 13 chapters. <laughs> and so the book came out in Romanian six years ago, and it sold out in two editions. And then I was asked here by a Romanian, I mean, an American publicist to translate the book. And mm-hmm. she really felt that it had a place in America. And so I translated it. It took me a little while, I think. There was a lot of judgment, really wondering if it did have a place in America as well. But mm-hmm. I translated it. It was a wonderful process, this this whole process of translating, especially her own work. Um, and the book came out in November. The, it's, it's, the book is in dialogue form, which a lot of people felt, feel is a very dynamic kind of um, way of engaging the reader. Uh, because Carmen sometimes contradicts me. She asks me to delve deeper into my explanations. And also each chapter stands on its own. So each chapter is on a different um, topic, but you can just pick up the book and just open the book at, I don't know, the chapter on dreams or feminism versus femininity and read that chapter and it stands on its own. And um, the last thing I should mention is that the book was written for a very wide readership. Mm-hmm. We, Carmen wanted to include the, the academia in Romania and really the lowest common denominator of readers. So her questions always challenged me to explain things in such a way that are not really out there, uh, you know, or terribly esoteric, although sometimes right. it may be, but in a way that really appeals to everybody, whatever their religion or whether they are agnostic or atheist, whatever culture they grew up in, whether they are academia, etc. And I really appreciate that point of view because so often I'm, you know, people don't initially resonate, just the word spiritual just right. uh, sort of rattles them and throws them off their axis and make them react. And so I wanted to be very inclusive. So true. Well, what happens to you looking at the situation, we can speak about possibilities, which is the future. We can speak yes. about the past. Obviously, there's something to refer to. But in the end, we are addressing the issues of the here now, the existence yes. of here now and being at this moment in time. And I think that's the powerful situation in terms of, okay, let's have a dialogue. You're here now. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Exactly. And I think that really changes the dynamics in terms of how we think, basically. So that brings me to the fact that it's a fascinating book, by the way. Fantastic stuff. Can we choose our destiny? Yes. So I think really our Destiny is is a dance between our calling in life, which mm-hmm. I spoke a little bit earlier. It's those yearnings, those um, uh, that animation that we get inside of us, which which 
are they are all flags along the way of things that we should pause and think about. I think we also come equipped with certain talents and abilities, and I think, or at least some people think, and I, I tend to be aligned with that, that we are not born in certain families and cultures by accident, that there is sort of a plan there. And given all of our talents, abilities, where we are in terms of our family and culture milieu, I think asking ourselves, you know, and asking spirit, you know, what, are, what am I here to do is a very profound question that each and every person should ask themselves. And then we sort of get to work um, in pursuing those dreams that we feel in our heart we've come here to manifest. And I think as we go about doing them, things show up on our path. It can be uh, very hard things we have to overcome. It can be unexpected moments of grace where doors we didn't expect open. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of taking that path. So I think in terms of manifesting our destiny, it's really a dance between between our dream and then what shows up on our path and the choices we make along the way. So I think it's it's both. It's It's our power of what we can manifest, but then there's also spirit at work, and we have to be cognizant of that. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Do you find there's a huge conflict between spirituality and religion? Well, it doesn't have to be. I think if we pull the the camera lens a little bit further so that we can see things in panoramic, mm-hmm. I think that what uh, those who are who are practicing a religion uh, are doing is they are trying to connect with the divine. And I think religion came about as as a way, as a modality, a tool to connect with with spirit, to connect with the divine. And what happened along the way, sometimes, not always, is that people got lost in the dogma and the how-to, and they forgot that really what we are there to do through religion is connect um, with the divine and be become aligned with spirit, become self-realized beings who are aligned with spirit. So I think it can happen through religion as long as we don't get lost in the dogma, or mm-hmm. it can happen by us loving, um, you know, you, you can love nature and you can connect to the divine through nature. And also, you know, some people think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be spiritual by meditating, like don't fool yourself you don't want mm-hmm. to become a meditator the meditation is just a tool to freeing yourself mm-hmm. so um i think uh religion is a way to connect with god but it's not the only way and the mm-hmm. trap of religion is dogma mm-hmm. uh and also getting getting engaged into this conversation about which religion is the true one and which is better and Etc. I have great respect for religion, and I think different religions are a good fit for different cultures. Mm-hmm. And um, it's when we start wars and these big um, fights, whether verbal or otherwise, about religion 
or in the name of religion where we get into trouble. Yeah, so the the whole notion of spirituality in a way mm-hmm. is finding the what's the essence of all religions and you know how do we connect with the divine and become a self-realized person. So I would say it's the spirituality is is the essence or the common denominator of of religions and of all these other tools of meditation of of being in nature of trying to connect with that which is beyond our five senses and make make some sense of it so true so true one of the things you address in the book is sin punishment and guilt in looking at that then who actually governs sin and who actually puts up punishment and why do we have to feel guilty if we feel that all our actions is right in our mind? Right. So, uh, so much about the, these notions, it's, it's not so much about what we actually do or say or think, but mm-hmm. how we judge that to be. Um, so it's the judgment of the action or the words or the thoughts that is what sort of gets us in trouble or sometimes keeps us out of accumulating karma, so to speak, Mm -hmm. karma that works against us or for us. Um, I guess in terms of, of, um, sin it's it's really what it's really how we think about it and and then the judgment that that we put on it and mm-hmm. um um in terms of doing good and bad deeds i think they sort of accumulate in a in a karmic kind of way i think some, sometimes people you know, have have a little bit of a funny relationship with the word karma, but if they think of it as just the the accumulated energy, um, you know, with respect to to actions and deeds and words, then um, I think it's it's a little bit freeing to to think of it in that way. Um, I think sin is sort of a big word that has come around, you know. Maybe initially with good intention from the from religion, but right. over time, I think it has just so many layers of weighing us down rather than helping us look into what can we what kind of aspects of ourselves can we let go of just things that no longer serve us, and I think that's a much healthier way of of uh, becoming a person who accumulates good karma, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, you know, a person who becomes aware that they're smoking or they're gossiping or they're, you know, being totally inactive physically is not good for them. You don't have to think in terms of I'm sinning, but how can I replace those habits and that way of being with a more with a way that is more supportive of mm-hmm. me as a person of my life and the people around me. So I don't think we have to judge ourselves or beat ourselves up with words like sin and and even bad karma that we've mm-hmm. accumulated even if it's from other lifetimes 
whatever. It gets down to identifying the actions that don't work for us and then fighting, finding ways to replace them with actions and words and ways of being that elevate us and those around us. And, you know, smoking and gossiping and being inactive physically are just three examples, but they are endless. Right. You know, they can be being a person who's very judgmental, being a person who has a terrible temper, being a person who's a narcissist, you know. Uh, there are so many habits that we engage to that we can really work on on um, replacing them with the kind that support us. So that whole chapter in the book is, I think, ultimately really about this. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So do you believe in reincarnation? <laughs> well, you know, it's, I think, again, it's one of those topics. The, the term itself sort of rattles a lot of people, but I sort of think that whether people believe that uh, this is their first and last lifetime or that they've been here many, many times before and they will be here many, many more times after this, I think the question still ends up being, what am I here to do? And what what is the most that I can heal about myself? What is the most that I can heal about humanity and mm-hmm. and those around me? Um, in my own personal experience, Johnny, I have to say that mm-hmm. I've had too many experiences where I don't know why I had certain talents that I hadn't, for example, really um, cultivated in this lifetime that I was born having, and why I met certain people that I felt that I I knew I was meeting for the first time, but I felt that I had always, like I've known them for for lifetimes, for for lack of a better word, and really feeling inside that maybe we have a contract together, that there is something that we um, really were meant to do here, but that we've done many other things before. Like you know them so deeply, but you just met them. Um, So I've had these kind of experiences or places that I've been to that feel so familiar, and I know so much about them without having researched them, that I tend to think that I have been here before. I mean, I'm I'm inclined, you know, to think in that direction to explain some of these very miraculous things that can happen. And also there are people who who are born in such humble circumstances and whose talents, whose IQ, whose abilities are so out of the ordinary and hard to explain given um, given their family and their upbringing, that you know, I have asked myself that question many mm-hmm. times and continue to do so because I am fascinated by this notion that when we leave this realm, this dimension, um, our spirit goes somewhere and then it comes, it's born again. Um, it's just. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that we are just a brain with cognitive functioning and a body and cells and nothing else. We all know that there is something else beyond all that. Somebody who watches our thoughts. 
right. inside right. of us. So right. uh, I cannot think that the consciousness um, cannot be killed. You know, it, it goes right. somewhere. <laughs> very, very it's just my personal uh, experience, <laughs> and I I respect everybody's point of view. I know so many, you know, respected scientists who think this is just pure rubbish, and I, I'm open to that point of view. I continuously stay open to all points of view, and that's really my take. Very, very interesting. You are listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Stefania Magison. She's the founder of the Blue Heron Foundation, one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the Romanian diaspora. To date, the organization has raised more than $2 million and has awarded over 300 college scholarships and has touched the lives of more than 2,900 children. We're having a conversation about her life's journey as an immigrant, her search for spiritual growth, and her recently released book, Searching for the White Magician, a dialogue with Carmen Firen on spiritual psychology and the manifestation of destiny. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Stefania, how do you view happiness? <laughs> I think... Um... So much of it has to do with the very things we talked about, which is really getting quiet and paying attention to what animates us inside, to what inspires us, because I really believe that figuring that piece out of our life out is a big part of the key to happiness, because then we make the kind of choices that get us on a on the track that feels aligned with what we are here to do. I think a lot of the unhappiness comes when we feel misaligned. We are in the relationship and the kind in the profession that is exhausting and it doesn't they don't feel aligned. I think I think that's that's sort of unhappiness and the thinking that I have is how do we delve deep inside and find out what animates us, what inspires us, and then set on our way to to finding our tribe, to uh, to cultivating and receiving the tools, the education, the abilities that will help us make the dreams that we think are part of our true path come true. And... So I think that that's a very big piece of what happiness is about. Um, happiness, I guess, it's also about many other things, such as acceptance, mm-hmm. gratitude, um, just to, just things like realizing that you know the the half of the glass that is full is a wonderful thing. So it can be about these smaller things as well, just gratitude for the so much that we have rather than all the things that we see on TV and on our phone and read about that we don't have or a state of being that we don't yet have. Just being able to take this step back and, and appreciating the moment and what we have. So... Happiness is in the moment rather than something sometime in the future, basically. A lot of it, but I think it's also a combination. It's in the moment, but also 
a little bit the awareness that we are, as far as the bigger picture, we are aligned and we are on the right path. It's aligning with your goals, the ones that you're trying to achieve within tomorrow, the next day, three months from now, or a year from now. That's happiness, achieving the goals they have set forth. Yes, if you if you feel that those goals are aligned with your higher color, uh, calling mm-hmm. in life, yes. Mm-hmm. So true. How would you define spirit? Oh, my God. Well, I think that there is the bigger spirit of the, you know, the, the spirit of the collective that, mm-hmm. you know, the spirit with capital S that we tap into. And then there's our individual spirit um, that we all have, and that we we with it we tap into the the bigger the collective spirit. I think it's it's that glimmer of that spark of consciousness, and some people would call it God. You know, we are all splinters of God. We are all a, mm-hmm. a little spark of God, and then there is the you know the the big God, the big consciousness. So maybe it sounds a little simplistic, but that's how I've explained it to myself, that mm-hmm. um, we, we are all uh, a spark of God. We are all a spark of spirit. And sometimes we forget it, but just because we forget it, it doesn't mean that we are not it. And so often just remembering that we are a sliver of God, a sliver of that high consciousness, and that it's it resides inside of us, and we just need to tap into it. It's such a powerful, um, it's such a powerful thing to do to just to remember it and to tap into it. We are all, you know, mm-hmm. many gods. We all have this um, high consciousness that is the consciousness of God. All of us. So we are all. So true. It's all there. Some of us tap into it. <laughs> A little more often than others, but it's there for all of us. Right. Is there a connection between spirituality and sexuality? <laughs> well, I wrote a whole chapter on uh, <laughs> behind the bedroom door. I was trying to be polite. <laughs> yes. You know, I think as we as we go deeper into into the cultivation of our spiritual self, I think we become a lot more discerning of how we conduct our sex life, so to speak, because um, there's a whole continuum when it comes to that. And uh, I think those who have cultivated um, a higher spiritual path, they want their sex to be a to their sexual their sex life to be a byproduct of everything they have achieved on the physical mental and emotional level it's not mm-hmm. just a, a getting together to have a an athletic exchange for example right, right their heart their mind their soul are all engaged in it and um so that's what i talk about that that our not only our bodies but our hearts and minds and souls are engaged in the in the act of sex for the person who has a more rarefied 
spiritual practice. That's at least where I stand. Just the excitement of the senses, (laughs) of the five senses. It goes beyond that. You're right, because there's a huge difference between making love and having sex. Yeah, I mean it's it's sacred, really. It right. somebody called that. I think how souls make love is through mm-hmm. it's through love making, and it doesn't mean that it cannot be exciting. Um, right. But but it's it's sort of um, it's it really is sacred, and also the questions of what karma are you creating? You know, if mm-hmm. if you are engaged in an affair or if you're engaged in misleading people when you sleep with them, if you're engaged of not being conscious about perhaps venereal diseases that you carry, it just goes on and on. So I think um, a person with a high spiritual consciousness conducts themselves a certain way sexually. Mm -hmm. Can our dreams help us? Yes, they can. I love our dreams. I think it's probably my most favorite tool of mm-hmm. learning about my unconscious. And, you know, Freud talks about how our unconscious is really the royal path to learning about ourselves. I mean, our dreams are out the royal path to our, to our unconscious. And it's, they are such a re rich source of learning about who we are beyond our conscious experience. I journal my dreams. I give a voice to the different characters and the different elements of my dreams. I see fears I work with. I see sometimes uh, I'm, I'm forewarned about certain things that I should be perhaps paying attention to in my dreams. Dreams also help us process um, just nervous tension. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, our brains need to dream because otherwise I don't think that they could function well in our awake, um, awakened moments. Uh, I've had dreams also of of a spiritual nature. You know, I felt that, that my spirit was floating over actually over the planet Earth um, millions of years ago when the continents were in a different configuration. Some, so some of our dreams can be um, of, of uh, belonging to a realm that is, that is um, very high. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I, I like also the notion of dream incubation, which is something we can do before we go to sleep. We can ask a very important question, such as, Spirit, given my talents, education, and abilities, please show me what what are my next steps in life or with regards to my profession or etc. So I often use these kind of questions before I go to sleep. I set an intention of remembering my dreams, and I ask Mm -hmm. pertinent questions. And then um, it's important to have a piece of paper and a pen next to your bed. And before you talk to anybody in in the morning, before you, I don't know, check your phone or even go to the bathroom, if you could just jot down the sliver of the dream you remember, it's so important, and then you can... 
write it in greater detail later in the day. But I found that um, they are a great source of really learning about the world beyond the five senses and a great source of informing our next steps in life. Um, I've, I've journaled hundreds of dreams, and they continue to fascinate me, and I love working with them a great, great deal. Also, they are a very... They are a wonderful way to work out karma that would be a lot more exhausting and costly in our day-to-day life. Sometimes we work out patterns in our dreams or patterns show up that we can then work out through journaling, etc. That would take so much more time and effort in our awakened state. So we can avoid a lot of stuff in mm-hmm. in our conscious state by paying attention to our dreams and working with unwanted patterns or sometimes healing patterns in our dreams. I've heard of that happening too. So I love dreams um, a lot more than people going to psychics or astrologers or, you know, dreams are your way of becoming self-empowered with respect to your own unconscious, with your own future. Um, They're just a marvelous tool. Very interesting. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Searching for the White Magician? I think what I continue to take out of this book and what um, I guess I should say even the students in Romania that we've helped over the years because our foundation awards college scholarships for Romanian orphans. And here are these kids who have had a, a very trying childhood, a very trying life up to this point, and yet they, they get the chance to become doctors and teachers and engineers and, um, I don't know, marketing and people and accountants. But I think we are all learning how to keep one foot in navigating the physical world reality, receiving education, skills, experiences, tools that help us deal with our day-to-day life, with the life of the physical world reality. And on the other hand, life would be so empty, and I know I would feel downright alienated if I didn't hold one foot in the spiritual world reality where we connect Mm -hmm. with that which resides beyond the five senses, where I connect with my metaphorical thinking, with my visionary and spiritual and creative thinking uh, where I kept track of my dreams, both night dreams and life dreams. And uh, so it's this dance, this tango between keeping one foot and learning how to be masterful at navigating the physical world reality while not losing touch and cultivating and keeping in touch with our with the reality beyond the five senses. So I think that's what I would like people to take. Um, And I think this book is the beginning of how to uh, cultivate the spiritual realm. And I would like to leave the reader with maybe... If with maybe two or three tools that they can, if I may mention, just yes, things that they yes. can take with them. So mm-hmm. one thing that I absolutely love doing, and I think it helps so much with 
with patterns that don't work for us or mm-hmm. stuff from the subconscious that needs to be released is I call it free form writing. And I write for 30 minutes and then I burn or destroy what I write. And you write whatever comes to your mind, no matter how angry you are, however bad these words are. Just write nonstop for 30 minutes. This is not the kind of writing you keep around. You just you want to burn it or <laughs> rip it up in little pieces and you know flash it down the toilet. And commit to 30 days of doing this. I wouldn't do it for more than 30 minutes at a time because so much stuff can get released and um, it can be too much. And um, 30 minutes, it's, it's truly plenty. And I commit for 30 days and then I take breaks and then I do it again for 30 days. And it just, it's like peeling off layers of the onion. You just get in touch with patterns that don't work, with dreams that you have, with um, with just so many incredible things, just how to formulate things that you want to say to your coworker or boss or spouse. So I'm a big believer in freeform writing. Another thing that I like to encourage our readers to do is to set an intention to find their tribe, be it spiritual or the tribe of artists or the tribe of uh, people who do service, you know, in philanthropy or different service projects. I think it's so important to find our tribe and to, it's very, it's very hard to be on this path alone. And we have to find our group to always recharge our batteries in that format. And maybe the last thing is to leave them with a question. There's this notion of entelechy which is really a word that means if the acorns and telekies to become an oak tree, what is your entelechy? In other words, what is your um, highest aspiration? Your, who, who is the highest um, that you can become? And just really contemplate that, whether in freeform writing, whether in setting an intention before bedtime, whether in reading a book and keeping track of um, of what inspires you in that book, but just sort of contemplate of what is your highest manifestation of destiny. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. those are three things. I have many others, but just three things I would like to leave the listeners with because they are important and because I've done them and they have worked for me. So I can attest for them. Fantastic. Where can someone go to buy your book and get more information about you and the Blue Heron Foundation? So Amazon, if they just type in my name, Stefania Magidson, or the name of the book, Searching for the White Magician, it will show up there. And um, Or if they Google the book, I think there's a couple of other places, including um, New Meridian Arts, which is the publishing company that published mm-hmm. my book. So there are a number of places. Amazon is really easy. And if they want more information about the foundation, about Blue Heron Foundation, we are at www.blueheronfoundation.org. And for any questions, they can write to info at blueheronfoundation.org. The great thing about the the foundation that I run is that people can help as donors or as mentors. And as far as donors, for all these 16 years, I have been in the lucky position to cover 100% of all expenses. So absolutely, 
every dollar donated goes directly to our to the kids that we help. Fantastic. So what's next for you? Oh, next for me. Well, our second son is now off to college and I my intention is to delve a little deeper in the work of the foundation. There are a lot of things that I couldn't do as fully as I intended to while being a mother uh with with our sons at home, but my intention is to do this and my husband is also a filmmaker who makes um um nonverbal documentaries. Some people call them spiritual documentaries, but they are really this very unique genre and they are filmed in many countries around the world. So there is a chance that he may be doing a third documentary around the world and if that is so I may be traveling with him and maybe writing a second book because so many people said we want a book with specific tools of um how to go about realizing our higher self and so maybe right. I'll be traveling with him and doing my foundation work and writing the second book so that's sort of what's what's next so Stefania since our show is about people family and living life would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, I think I pretty much um, said it. It's this tango between navigating the physical world reality of our lives with the and showing up in our best version, which is continuously, I believe, for those who have an intention, continuously evolving and continuously transforming and then having this foot in in our spiritual world, which is made up of so many beautiful elements, from our prayers to our intentions to finding our tribe, to keeping track of our dreams, to being devoted to our healing and our spiritual evolution. So it's this recipe. It's a tango. I used to dance a lot more than I'm doing these days, but um, I love the tango, and I used to dance it quite a bit. And so my recipe is to continue, for all of us, our literal or metaphorical tango through life between being and doing. Is it Argentine tango or ballroom tango? It's mainly Argentine tango. I've, I've, for me, it was a better fit because it has more uh-huh. soul. <laughs> interesting, interesting, very, very interesting. Well, Stefania, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, June 26. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Miracle of Love, a collection of 101 stories about hope, destiny, and finding your soulmate. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Stefania, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you so much, Johnny. I'm so grateful for the opportunity and for your wonderful listeners having given us their time and their attention during this interview. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
next time you need auto parts and accessories, trust the parts professionals at the 176 DFW area O'Reilly Auto Parts stores. Our professional parts people know what it takes to get the job done right. Professionals have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for decades. Now you can too. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Respect. It's more than a word. It's an underlying principle of success and humanity. In the U.S. Army, respect is one of our foundation values. It's the reason we can overcome every obstacle and defeat every foe. So if you're interested in joining a team where respect is earned every day, consider joining our team. And now in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $40,000 in bonuses. To find out more, go to GoArmy.com forward slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army.